Welcome to the Good Growing Podcast. I am Chris Enroth, horticulture educator with University of Illinois Extension, coming at you from Macomb, Illinois, and we have got a great show for you today. We have our returning special guest, Dr. Casey Athey, who she talked to us last week about biocontrols. This week, it's about climate change and insects. So this is going to be a fun, exciting topic, and I cannot do this by myself, folks. We need with us our co-host with us every single week, local foods educator Katie Parker in Quincy. Hey, Katie. Hey, Chris, how are you doing this week? Um, well, I mean, it, I feel like spring has sprung. It's beautiful out. It, it is amazing. And so have my allergies. So if you're watching this on YouTube, you will see me dabbing at my nose constantly right now, uh, waiting for that medication to kick in any minute here. Yeah, thanks for sacrificing yourself <laughs> so we can have some nice weather. Uh, I know, I know. Um, uh, we have to just get through this tree flowering phase. I think that's, I don't know what I'm allergic to, but when we lived in Kansas, I didn't have a problem. There's much fewer trees in Kansas. Came back here to Illinois. Seems like when those maples start to flower and then the oaks hit and then some, some shade tree gets me. Yeah, it doesn't sound like much fun. Uh, no, it, it is definitely not. Uh, and, and someone who I know is just laughing all the way to the medicine cabinet where he doesn't have to worry about allergies. Horticulture educator Ken Johnson in Jacksonville. Hey, Ken. Well, no allergies, but I did get my first sunburn of the year this weekend. Oh. So. What were you doing outside? Yard work. You oh. think after 38 years, I'd figure out that just because it's not hot out doesn't mean you can't get sunburned. <laughs> Oh Maybe yeah, next year. <laughs> I the beautiful weather has been a, a fantastic. Uh, it's, it's letting the less let, letting us work outside more. I'm definitely more sore today than I normally am. Ken, you you, you would include yourself there. Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> yep. Katie, have you been able to get out and work some muscles? We haven't been able to flex in, this winter. Yeah, I've been outside, but I am younger than you guys, so I don't think I'm quite as sore as you. <laughs> Just wait. <laughs> You'll get my cane and walker now. <laughs> it's like the, the dye from my beard is starting to show the gray, so yeah. Oh my goodness. Well, you know, speaking of, of time and how things change... Um, when it comes to climate change, and then of course insects, I mean, they're popping up right now too. Um, I've been swatting at mosquitoes recently. Uh, we got all kinds of flies sunning themselves out on the deck. Um, I, I mean, everything is popping in. We had a, a, a mud, uh, is it a mud dauber? She's trying to make her nest right underneath our door. And I keep putting her in Tupperware and like go somewhere else. And she's not getting the hint. She keeps coming back. So um, the bugs are out. Seems like it might be happening earlier and earlier every year because, I mean, I never had allergies in April. They always started in May. So this is kind of a new thing for me. Uh, Ken, Katie, have you noticed things happening sooner? Yeah, we had a few. We had some paper wasps out um, eat, eating our deck and stuff, making their their nests and stuff. So mm -hmm. I don't think I've noticed any insects yet this year. Um but it seems like the sooner and sooner uh, our flowers start to pop up out of the ground. Mm -hmm. And there are 
methods we can use to track these uh, phenol phenological. Oh man, help me out, guys. Phenological. I can't. Phenological. Say it. Phenological. phenological. <laughs> yes, records that folks have been keeping for like over a hundred years for certain species. When you think about things like lilac, redbud, um, people have been looking at those for uh, years and years. And what that means is they basically record when that plant hits a certain life state or life uh, stage in their life cycle, like flowering, when do the lilacs flower? And they, it's definitely been documented throughout history and into current day, things are happening a little bit sooner and sooner each year. But what does that mean for us? Well, uh, we have brought on our, our uh, Dr. Casey Athey here. So uh, uh, Dr. Athey, she is a assistant professor and entomology specialist with University of Illinois Extension uh, to help us kind of talk about and dive into this topic of climate change and what does it mean for the insects that we share this planet with. Casey, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me back. Glad to be here two weeks in a row. <laughs> well, it really helps in scheduling and booking these things out. So thank you for being here two weeks in a row. So when we dive into climate change, I, I know we were talking before the show, there are a lot of unknowns. This is kind of a new world, uh, a new area of study that a lot of folks are having to deal with and adjust to. Um, and I, it, it feels like in the modern world, you know, science has to work really hard to try to keep up with things. Um, so yeah, I just wanna make sure that everyone, uh, we're, we're laying that on the table uh, first and foremost because research takes time. And when we're dealing with something like climate change, sometimes that works against you. Yeah, no, that's very true. And I think, you know, the climate change research is, is really complicated. And, you know, for a long time, what we've focused on a lot is modeling the climactic changes and then what we think that will mean for, for various things. As far as sort of replicated studies looking at how warming or enhanced CO2 or enhanced wetness, um, more precipitation really affects insects generally, a lot of that is, you know, coming down the pipeline, but there isn't as, as much as, as we'd like uh, to see, um, because a lot of these things are, are really complicated, especially within the, the sort of specialty crop realm that I am a part of. I think there's a fair amount more climate change work done on our traditional sort of row crops, uh, things like corn and soybeans. Um, uh, and a lot of, I mean, good research, great research that's out there. But as far as some of the particulars, it is complicated. And often the way that we talk about it is very tentative. Um, sort of the things that we think are happening and the predictions we can make um, are not set in stone, if you will. Um, and, and as everyone listening, watching know, then have seen from our intros, none of us are climatologists necessarily, <laughs> but we do have one on the hook. So Trent Ford, our Illinois State climatologist, if you do have specific questions about climate change, folks, we'll leave his information below. He is happy to answer these questions for us. So uh, in light of that, Katie, would you mind kicking us off on this, this week's list of questions, please? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so Casey, with our warming environment, would we expect to see more populations or a larger population of southern insects moving north into Illinois? 
You know, we, we probably would set, expect to see some of that um, for sure. I think range expansions are, are often the first thing we think about, and it's kind of the easiest thing to study in the context of climate change. And so there's been a fair amount of research into range expansions, especially for things like invasive species. Um, and there are, you know, examples of these sorts of range expansions outside of sort of your traditional cropping systems. Um, we see them a lot in like forest pests that, that we're seeing what appears to be range expansions that are primarily uh, driven by um, uh, rising temperatures. Um, and so I think, you know, here in Illinois, there's no reason not to expect that we would see some of these range expansions. One thing that's happening right now and something that my lab is going to be looking more into over this summer is that last year the pumpkin producers found a pest that they hadn't really seen very much before in Illinois called the melon worm. And we don't know if that is the result of climate change. We don't know if it was a fluke that it was here last year. We don't know if because of warming, maybe it's overwintering here. They had it in Missouri last year or two years ago as well. So that is sort of an example of a potential thing that is here because it is warmer. Now, I can't say any of that for sure. I'm hoping to get more answers about that as the summer goes on. But that's a concrete example I can point to to something that we're actually looking into right now to see if maybe that's an actual example of this happening, um, because it's definitely a southern species that we know, at least beforehand, does not overwinter in Illinois. Is there is there a potential, too, though, that um, some of our populations could shrink or we would actually lose some insects? Yes, so the example that I'm gonna give my forest example here is one that does both of those things. So there's a pest in forest systems in the Eastern United States, it's called hemlock woolly adulgid. And it's based, it's like an aphid um, and it attacks hemlock trees. And it has expanded quite a bit northward um, in its range over the last you know, 10 or 15 years. And we think that's primarily driven by um, uh, the climate being, uh, as it's warming, those northern areas are, are better for the adelgid. But what's interesting is what's happening is in its southward, south, southern range, it's actually not as big of a problem anymore because those midsummer temperatures are too high for the nymphs. And so it's not causing the type of tree damage in the southern part of its range that it used to cause because now it's basically too hot there. So you see this sort of you know, you're seeing what is essentially a good thing for the southern part of the range and a bad thing for the northern part of the range. And Trent Ford, incidentally, does talk about these sorts of things quite often where it isn't as simple as to say, you know, climate change will cause bad pest problems or something. It's like, well, it might over here, but it might also actually cause a pest problem to no longer exist somewhere over here, depending on you know how how that change goes. Do you think that there's the potential that um, we could get rid of like pest insects that or insects that impact human health, such as mosquitoes, ticks, or other disease vector insects? Yeah. So what's interesting about a lot of our disease vectors is that, especially mosquitoes, um, mosquitoes are a you know, 
this is a giant blanket statement, a tropical subtropical sort of group. And of course we have them in temperate regions, but a lot of mosquito species are the worst where it's very hot. And so you could imagine a world where in future, if it gets super hot in tropical areas, maybe you have less mosquito pressure. But I kind of think the human vector ones, it seems, will climate change will kind of only be bad for those in an area like this. Um, there's some, so with insects, this is a, again, a general blanket statement. When it is warmer, insects develop faster. Uh, they just do. Um, they're very temperature dependent because they're um, ectotherms, what we used to call cold-blooded. And so if it is warmer, not only for mosquitoes, are they developing faster, but often the disease agent in them, if they're spreading diseases, is also developing faster from the heat. Um, and so with things like Lyme disease and the ticks spreading northward, um, the warmer temperatures are just just bad for that. Like that's probably, there's a lot of evidence to suggest that the ticks with Lyme disease spreading into like Southern Canada are, it's primarily due to, due to climate change. So I think the insect vector and disease vector thing is only gonna be exacerbated by, by climate change um, as far as that goes. Uh, now, of course, some of the vectors, things like mosquito vectors that we have here we don't have the diseases yet, or maybe won't. So there's a mosquito that vectors a disease called dengue fever, which is known as breakbone fever, which sounds terrible. Um, we have that mosquito, we don't have dengue. Um, now the Northern expansion of that mosquito is bad anyway, but that isn't to suggest that climate change would cause us to necessarily get dengue fever in the United States. Um, it's just that we have one of the vectors for it that is, you know, moving in or is in the United States, I should say. So with a lot of climate change stuff, there's winters are warming, uh, getting shorter. With that happening, are we going to see more insects um, in the summer or earlier? And then as that, I guess that growing season, so to speak, is getting longer, you kind of hinted at this, but will we see more generations of things where we typically maybe only saw one or two? Yeah, yeah. So I think the answer to that is probably yes for some things, but I think it's important to keep in mind something about insects generally is that they're coming out of their diapause, they're overwintering, is it is temperature dependent, but it's mostly day length dependent. So you're, you're never, you're likely not going to have insects that can overwinter here that would start coming out in like December or something because the day, the day length is what is triggering it and also temperature. So they'll come out earlier, of course, because it's warmer, but there is a point at which they're probably not coming out that much earlier. So our extra generations are probably twofold. It is that our growing season is longer and they're coming out a little earlier, but if it is warmer during the summer, they'll develop faster. So you can see a scenario where even if you didn't have a longer time, so even if they came out at the exact same time in the spring, with a warmer climate, you might still get more generations because they're gonna go from egg to adult faster than they would have if it's cooler because insects are just so very temperature dependent that way. So I would expect that as it gets warmer, 
we would potentially see more generations um, uh, of various pests. They also sometimes will eat more when it's warmer because they need to, because their metabolism is going faster. So that's another side effect with anything that eats plants is, or well, anything that eats anything, but in our case, we care about the eating of the plants, um, is that they tend to eat more when it is warmer if they're you know out actively doing that. And a lot of times we, we kind of focus on pests, but the same thing would be true for or more beneficial stuff, right? They would still be sped up in more generations. Yes. And yes, absolutely. Um, and so that's that's where some of the interesting trade-offs are, because again, these these interactions are a lot more complicated. So some things would be, you know, you would expect maybe to have more generations of of your your predators and also your pests but their, back, their behavior might change too. So like, for example, you can imagine a scenario where it gets really hot during the middle of the day. And so some type of a pest goes and hides essentially in a time of day that they would not have normally sought shelter. Maybe they would have been eating on the plant and now it's too hot, so they, they go hide. So you have more predators around, you know, but they're not eating those pests because they can't find them. And so the warming is actually causing the pests to do then more damage when they come back out because they're not being eaten by the predators at the level that they were before. And the same can actually go, uh, you know, sort of the other way um, where uh, you could have, you know, more predation happening as a result of the warming and then you're protecting the plants. So the warming, if it's better for the predator, is actually better for the plant um, because it's having that effect. So, you know, depending on the species, you get all kinds of different interactions happening. So all this description of, of, of warmth and more generations, hungrier insect. So for some reason, it's taking me back to when I learned about the massive prehistoric insects that were mm -hmm. like around because it was a warmer planet. I think it was also because oxygen content in our atmosphere was higher. It was. Um, yeah. So, oh boy. So hopefully the oxygen doesn't, get higher in our atmosphere. So then we have centipedes the size of school buses, but the models are showing that it's gonna get wetter. Like uh, climate models, or at least the majority of them are predicting in Illinois, we're gonna get more rainfall uh, during the summer months. Are there species of insects that'll win out there or um, what, what would we expect from more rainfall? Well, so some of the best examples of things that do really well with more rainfall is, really a result of the fact that the plants are doing way better with more rainfall. So there's sort of what we call outbreak pests that we tend to find um, much worse when you're getting a lot of rainfall. So things like grasshoppers, things like army worms, these sorts of things uh, tend to be worse when it's wetter because the plants are doing great and all of a sudden these, these pests are building populations up very fast um, as, a, as a result of this. And so as long as we're not having constant flooding, um, then you know we could see a scenario where some of these things we consider to be outbreak pests could be way worse um, as, as we have wetter years. And of course, something that I'm sure Trent has talked about before is that from sort of a plant or insect relationship, if you have a wetter springs, which is kind of what we're seeing, you could get a delay in planting. And so mm -hmm. there are crops where 
the time that you plant it is very important because of just sort of plant resistance to insect damage. And you want that plant to be a certain size before those insects come in to get it. Essentially, they can, you know, that plant can tolerate some um, pest feeding at a certain size that it definitely can't when it's really tiny. And so if we see this delay from wetter springs, some of that plant resistance that we have worked hard to get these timings right, we're kind of, we don't have that anymore because the plant isn't big enough by the time the insects arrive. And so that can be another sort of one of those sort of indirect effects, if you will, um, mm -hmm. of the, the being wetter. This may just be me, but one thing I've noticed when we've had wetter springs, a lot of times you'll see, especially like flies and stuff that are infected with fungus and stuff, they'll crawl up and get, would, would we see more insect disease with wetter? Like you see a lot more plant disease when it gets wetter. Yeah. You know, if it's a fungus, maybe. Um, I would think that things like, yeah, diseases that actively affect insects maybe on the fungus level. Um, of course, when I think of diseases in insects, I often think about diseases they're transmitting, um, you know, things like the viruses that aphids and thrips transmit. And I don't really know. I imagine that, again, if the insects are developing faster, it's possible that in that case, like pathogens are developing faster as well within the insects. And so you could see a spread more spread of like plant diseases um, from insect vectors as it gets warmer uh, as well. But I don't know how much the wetness would affect that bit of it anyway. That's not to say it wouldn't, it's just to say, I don't know. <laughs> so you'd mentioned that we can expect to see an increase in plant damage due to pest insects. Um, is there anything else that we, might be seeing such as um, like plants being more stressed, they're more susceptible or anything along those lines? You could, yeah. I mean, stressed plants are always more, more susceptible to, to attack. Uh, they, they just are. And so if the heat, if it's too much um, for the plants, uh, you could, I mean, you could definitely see a scenario where that is worse. Um, Generally speaking, when people have done big reviews of what they think is going to happen as far as climate change and pests. So I was reading one that I think they were looking at like the top 30 insect pests of plants worldwide. So, you know, a wide, wide range of things. And about half of the pests they surveyed are projected to cause worse damage as, as things get warmer. Uh, I think the number was 4% uh, were projected to cause less damage. So, you know, not, not, not a large number. And then the majority, uh, a little over 50% then were mixed. Um, and so some damage, some not. But very few of these things are predicted to like be, very few of these pests are predicted to be less of a problem, generally speaking. Um, uh, as time goes on. So there, there's a lot of predictions to say that, you know, the damage on plants would be, would be worse. And I can't imagine that having heat stressed plants makes them, you know, easier, make, makes it so that they'd be, they tolerate pests better. <laughs> I think it would be worse, um, probably. Not, not necessarily related to moisture, but definitely heat. Um, the drought 
in 2012 that we experienced. Um, and I don't know, Casey, maybe you could shine more light if this is tied together or not. But I remember the drought occurred and then there's a group that monitors the overwintering population of monarch butterflies down in Mexico. Mm -hmm. And they saw a drastic decline that winter. I think it was less than an acre and a half or something, you know, very much smaller. So, I mean, it, it's to, to me, it seemed like the drought affected the plant material, which might've affected flower nectar resources, or maybe even the milkweed resources for the caterpillar. Um, yeah, I mean, you could you could have that, and I'll I'll be honest, I don't know all that much about monarchs generally as far as how they're provisioning their migratory, like as they're getting down to Mexico. But if it's a severe drought and there's no moisture to be found anywhere, like I can just you know imagine where that was a problem sort of across the board. And 2012 was bad pretty much everywhere. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, you wouldn't be able to get your, your, your food sources. You wouldn't be fueled up for the flight probably. Mm -hmm. um, and of course there are pests that outbreak really bad at drought. Uh, things like spider mites in soybeans tend to not be a problem until it's really hot and dry. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, spider mites. <laughs> um, and so there's definitely, you know, again, that sort of goes to these things that, you know, we call outbreak pests as the climate changes, you might see more of those in places that you didn't previously. Mm -hmm. Is there also the potential maybe for more disease as we'd have more insects that could vector in diseases? Yeah, so, uh, you know, my, again, my knowledge of, you know, plant diseases is very limited. Um, you would have to talk to Mohammed Babadoust about all of those for sure. But as far as insect vectors, in general, when we're talking about like human diseases, the insects are developing faster when it's hotter, the, the disease, the pathogen develops faster as, as well. Um, and so if we take that logic and translate it to um, crops, if the insects are developing faster and there's more of them, um, the, in, the diseases they're transmitting to the crops, that should be worse um, if all of these things are happening. Um, but again, the interactions are interesting and it's possible that those pathogens don't do as well at higher temperatures. And then the other thing to keep in mind, at least about one group of insect pests that spreads a lot of diseases, aphids do have a heat shock problem. So if it gets too hot, aphids go through heat shock, they become sterile. Um, and so that is a group that watching as things warm, there could be some interesting interactions with a group like that, that would be different than what you would see in things that don't have, that aren't as sensitive to heat shocking as aphids are. I remember last year we had so many whammies on to turf grass. I know many, some people don't like lawns, but um, uh, th those are the questions that get thrown our way. So, but we had like a super wet spring and then it dried off in the summer. So the turf grass lawn in the spring, because it was so wet, the root system didn't establish very deeply, mm. wasn't ready for the, the summer temperatures that started to decline, lots of disease issues. Um, but actually it got so hot, it got hot enough so that the spring diseases were no longer affecting it, but it was too late. And then fall armyworm shows up. Yeah, <laughs> last fall, and this consumes everything in its path in the lawn. So that was a rough year for lawns last year. 
Yeah, well, and fall army worm, the army worms were on other things too. I mean, the lawns were probably the worst and they came in and it was like they did that damage in what seemed like overnight. Yeah. Um, it seemed like people woke up one morning and they were like, oh, my lawn is gone. <laughs> yep. And, and army worms are weird because again, they're like an outbreak pest. And so they're, because of that, they're really unpredictable. And even trying to correlate exactly why, you know, they show up sometimes and why they don't is... I imagine, you know, tricky. Um, but yeah, they're, they seem to sort of show up all at once, <laughs> which is what they do. Um, but yeah, I mean, to, to be fair, like I, uh, if your lawn disappears overnight, you're going to be kind of distressed about it. <laughs> Startling. <laughs> yeah, really. Job security. Yeah. <laughs> Well, it does remind me of the, the melon worms though. It was like all these growers didn't see them. And then all of a sudden they would pick, they went out to their field and their pumpkins are covered in caterpillars. Mm. And it, it was, you know, sort of, I mean, obviously the lawns are a larger area, but it's still shocking to go out and be like, these pumpkins look great. And you go out like two days later and you're like, oh no, they're covered in caterpillars and they look terrible. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, the why of that as well is, interesting yeah as outbreak pests go if you will so we mentioned beginning of the show i'll talk about phenology a little bit so with with climate changing is phenology with plants and insects going to get thrown off or are plants going to be blooming before insects are out or insects going to be coming out before plants are blooming yeah no all of those absolutely um could be the case uh and one of the things that we're thinking about a lot with some of the research we're hoping to do is with flowering and pollinators. So if you have a specific pollinator that is pretty fidelitous to whatever your plant is, so like for example, pumpkins, uh, squash bees are specialists on, you know, cucurbits. And so if the flowering shifts, which we expect that it might, the activity of those squash bees would have to shift with it. Um, and so it's possible that all the phenology sort of shifts together, or maybe it doesn't. And I think it would have more of an effect on specialists um, than it would on like a, a generalist pest. Because I have to imagine that a generalist pest would just go after something different or be fine with the fact that the plant's a little blind. <laughs> Whereas something that's a really tight specialist, that phenological shift could create huge problems for um, plants, pollinators. I mean, even the pests themselves, obviously we'd want that to happen, but um, but yeah, those, those things again are, I think we really need to figure out where it's gonna go. Um, so that we can make recommendations on, you know, if you need to supplement with different bees, for example, if your flowers shift by a week and you used to bring in your, your bees at whatever time and you've got to, you know, change that around, um, that's all stuff we have to kind of know about for sure. So Casey, the role of insects as decomposers often gets overlooked in a lot of cases. Actually, my kids and I were in the woods just this weekend we like rolled over a rotted log and we were looking at all the insects there. And if you actually touch the log, it's, it's kind of damp, but mm -hmm. also it's cool. It's like cool to the touch. There's all these like beetles and termites and um, earwigs, all this stuff just going to town. Are we going to be 
like covered in logs that can't rot because of climate change? Are they going to be, a, are the decomposers going to be affected too? Uh, they, they absolutely, they absolutely can. Yeah. So it is, it is interesting because again, there's been a little bit of research and with decomposers, the, the research on insect decomposers tends to be in forest systems um, because you have a pretty robust um, uh, community there. And when people are studying that, they usually are in forest systems. And so one of the examples was that in warmer conditions in like a mixed uh, maple and oak forest, they had slower breakdown of all that leaf litter than they would have expected. And this was in a warmer place. And what they thought is it was actually that the ants that were in the system were moving further down into the soil. And so, because it was cooler, and so they were actually moving more soil, but it was deeper, making their nest deeper. And so they weren't really like, you know, dealing with sort of that top layer anymore um, because it was too warm for them to be up there. And so you can imagine that as sort of like the surface decomposition not, not happening the way that it should be um, if it's too warm for the decomposers to do that. Um, and some of that same stuff, some of the research too in forest systems like set drought as well. And so, um, like they were talking about like little wood lice and if it's drought, then they tend to feed less and they just rest more because it's, it's too dry. Um, and so then they break down less leaf litter there as well. Um, and so you, you could expect that that would follow for a lot of these, these decomposers. Um, but I do have an example of an opposite reaction. Okay. Um, so, uh, this is another protection from predators thing. So even if it's warmer and a decomposer is moving around less, again, maybe it's building, in this case, this decomposer builds a, like a bigger shelter and stays in there. And so is free from predators. So when it comes out, even though that individual is maybe actually decomposing, you know, breaking down the leaf litter less, it's not getting eaten by a predator. So it is, it's actually doing just as much as it did before. So there's still an effect of climate change on the fact that its activity is slowing down and it's going into a shelter, but it's protected from predators. And so it's not changing the way that it's decomposing. It's still doing its job. It's just doing it differently. There's just so much to consider in these, <laughs> these scenarios. I can, yes. it's so complicated. I can see how this, because in my brain, I'm thinking about the soils, um, you know, down in like Florida, Alabama, Louisiana, and you know, there's not as much organic matter because it's warm all the time and everything's using the organic matter. Mm -hmm. But that's because they have species adapted to that. We don't necessarily have those species in our part of the world adapted to that. Mm -hmm. So yeah, what, how complicated. <laughs> <laughs> well, and it's interesting too, because if you think about like, there are things that, you know, we think about warming and we think, oh, insects are going to move faster and they're going to do more stuff. And there's not going to be an opposite problem. But like there are certain insects that need to be cold. They need to have a cold winter to survive, basically. They need a certain temperature in diapause. And so there's a lot of opposite reactions as well. I mean, that's not always just with pests. That's just generally speaking. Um, there's, a, there's a specific type of insect. It's called a, it's like a snow scorpion fly. 
and it lives in snow, as the name would suggest. And I think this is the one that if you hold it in your hand, it will die because it's too hot. Um, and like, so, I mean, warming would be terrible for that guy. It's just going to have to keep moving further up altitudes. So our last question for you, I think, is a, a million dollar question. <laughs> uh, we're totally put you, putting you on the spot here. But what impact do you think that climate change will have on insects? And I'm going to cop out and I'm going to say it's complicated. Uh, the extension answer. It depends. It. Yeah, it depends. <laughs> it's well, so I, I think that I guess my answer to that is the other sort of response you might expect. We need to do a lot more research. Um, we need to be able to understand a lot more of the dynamics in these systems um, outside. Uh, under conditions we expect to find as time goes on. I think that we're going to have range expansions for sure. I think we're going to have localized extinctions because um, that's just probably what's going to happen. And I think the world and sort of insect populations will look very different a hundred years from now than they do now, whatever that means. Um, and, you know, that's just my own thought, of course, but on the research side, I think, you know, any, any bit of it, you know, helps out uh, as far as getting us more to the answers. Um, I think we're able to do more of the, we're able to take the modeling and combine that with more actual experiments now. Um, uh, it, it's just the fact that a lot of the infrastructure to do the experiments is really expensive. So here at U of I, we have a facility that actually is run by the USDA that allows you to do experiments under heightened temperature and CO2 outside, but they're very expensive to run. Um, but it's different than a greenhouse because it's simulating natural conditions. And so um, by doing experiments out there, we're able to kind of try to start to answer like what does climate change, what's the effect on insects, you know, starting with insects in any given um, crop. I hope to start in pumpkins um, for, for my own part. I have to get funding for it, but I hope to start in pumpkins and actually be, be doing these experiments. How does the temperature um, shift flowering? Um, How does that affect phenology? How does that affect the pollinators? Um, those sorts of questions. Yeah, for a pollinator-dependent crop, pumpkins so seems like a very critical, especially for Illinois, number yes. one pumpkin grower in the in the country here. So yeah, that's, that's why we picked it. Um, mm -hmm. uh, it's it's an it's an important one. It's an important commodity for our state. And so if you know, I'm going to pick between all the specialty crops. I went with pumpkins first, um, as far as as far as uh, annual crops to uh, do experiments on. I can't really do the elevated CO2 and heat experiments in um, orchards right now uh, because we, and that's just not, I don't have the ability to do that at the moment, but I will say generally speaking, we think that the sort of effect of climate change on pests will probably be worse for pests in perennial systems like orchards than it will in annual crops. Um, uh, and probably because those pests, because the crop is there year after year, the pests are overwintering there year after year. You know, a lot of our pests that come in um, 
from the south that come in every year are annual crop pests, not so much like tree fruit pests. Um, and so, you know, there may be, at least the projections would suggest that the, the effects of climate change will be more on pests of orchards. But again, I can't really do the experiment on orchard pests at this moment. So we'll start with annual crops and move from there. We need an army of entomology interns and field specialists for Casey. So we do. Yes. <laughs> maybe some more. Maybe some more uh, extension specialists that are uh, entomology. We could have. We could have an army of them. <laughs> yes. Yes. So we'll and we'll see you, army worms, next fall. That's right. Oh yeah. boy. <laughs> oh my goodness. Uh, Dr. Casey Athey, thank you for being here. And then of course, another day at work. Another a day where I realize there is a mountain of knowledge that I just to realize that you just don't know. I mean, it's just like, it, it is, um, you feel like you know something and then you realize there's so much to know. So thank you so much for being here and letting us know we still have a lot more to discover about this topic of insects and climate change. Thanks for having me again. It was fun, just like last week. <laughs> exactly, yes, we'll see you next week. Oh, I'm kidding, okay, you got you got work to do, I know. So you can't sit here and talk to us all day. So. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Well, the Good Growing Podcast is produced by Winnie Ferguson and edited this week by Ken Johnson. Uh, thanks, Ken, for that. And of course, thank you to our co-hosts with us every single week, Katie Parker and Ken Johnson. Thanks, guys. Yeah, thanks for joining us again, Casey and Chris and Ken. Uh, thanks for always showing up. Casey, thank you. Lots of things to think about there. And Chris and Katie, thank you as always. Are we doing this again next week? <laughs> gonna do this again next week oh you better believe we'll do this again next week um so maybe next week will be a garden bite episode but actually in a couple weeks we're going to be talking uh to one of our marketing uh, specialists out there and asking the question who are we why are we here what is extension and why do we do what we do so that will be a fun show to get to the heart and soul of what it is and why we do it so folks listeners Thank you for doing what you do best, and that is listening, or if you're watching this on YouTube, watching, and as always, keep on growing. <laughs>